Welcome to the Malt Whiskey Trail Podcast. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for joining. The Malt Whiskey Trail Podcast is produced every fortnight and is best enjoyed, responsibly of course, with a dram, the traditional measure of scotch. Our show notes can be found at www.maltwhiskeytrail.com, where you can also plan your trip to the world's only malt whiskey trail. Now, let's get into the show. Slangeva, which is the traditional Gallic toast. During this episode on the Malt Whiskey Trail, I'll be speaking with Alistair Joyce, Stuart from Dallas Dew, to discover this distillery's remarkable history and uncover what makes Dallas Dew a unique Malt Whiskey Trail destination. Now, let's hear from Alistair. I'm here today with Alistair from Dallas Dew. Alistair, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do at Dallas Dew? I'm a steward here at Dallas Dew Distillery. Um, so my main responsibility is meeting the customers, meeting and greeting customers and dealing with the customers, um, selling them their tickets, telling them about what they're going to see here and working in the shop, um, selling them whiskey or whatever else they want to buy from the shop. So it's very much a, a customer-facing position here. So can you tell us a little bit about Dallas Dew and its history within the area? Dallas Dew is a unique distillery in many respects. Um, it's... History is that it was the last distillery to be built in Scotland in the 19th century. It was completed in 1899 and it was completed at the end of what had been a very prolific spell of distillery building in Scotland. There was a boom took place at the end of the 19th century and Dallas Dew was slightly unfortunate in that it was built just towards the end of that boom in whisky and within a fairly short period of time its fortunes started to, to turn around a bit um, but it was built, we believe, as a slightly speculative build. Um, there was a, a local um, estate owner here in Forest called Alexander Edward, and he was something of a whisky entrepreneur. He had his money and in investments in not just in Dallas too, but in other distilleries as well. He was a member of the board of directors on at least one other whisky company as well. He owned what was then known as Sankar Estate, and Dallas Dew Distillery was built on a plot of ground that had belonged to him. It's a little bit unclear as to whether he actually part-built the distillery or whether he sold the ground to the people who built the distillery. I believe within the originality of the distillery being created, it was also it was called something else before. It was initially called Dallas Moor, M-H-O-R. How long that name was around... I'm not sure. It very quickly became Dallas Dew because the the change to the name Dallas Dew was to reflect the name of the the whiskey that it was being used the blended whiskey that it was being used in. So Dallas Moore became Dallas Dew to reflect the name Roderick Dew of the blend that it was used for. I say how long that Dallas Moore name existed, we don't really know. Um, I suspect it was perhaps a name that was either given to the site or was given by um, Alexander Edward when they started to build it, and then, it, as I say, it became Dallas Dew. So what is unique to Dallas Dew that you cannot see anywhere else in the Malt Whiskey Trail? Dallas Dew is unique because it is, as far as we know, the only physically mothballed distillery that is open to the public. Dallas Dew ceased production in 1983, March 1983, but at that point um, it was a victim of a major recession in the Scotch whisky industry. Uh, it was one of the distilleries that closed at that time because it had become 
I suppose, uneconomic to run it. It was small, it had limited, its production was quite limited. Um, it had only one pair of stills. And even when it closed in 1983, it still employed 10 or more people. Now, that was an expensive way to run a distillery. Even by the 1980s, process control was beginning to find its way into distilling. And there were big distilleries that ran with a, just a skeleton staff of two or three operating a, a console from which the whole process was controlled. Many of the small distilleries, distilleries like Dallas do that process control that never be put in place. Um, and so in that respect, Dallas do one of the smaller ones, never been improved, was an obvious candidate for, for closure. What was in its favour at that point as well was the fact that the distillery was still largely intact uh, and unchanged from when it had, had been built. Okay, it had gone through some relatively minor changes. The still room had had to be rebuilt at one stage due to a fire. Um, additional washbacks had been put in, but everything that was there was still very much in the character of a 19th century distillery. Wooden washbacks, everything else in copper, no stainless steel in sight, really. Um, the only really significant changes that had happened were that the coal-fired boilers had been replaced by an oil-fired boiler, the stills were indirectly heated by steam, and a couple of smaller vessels within the distillery, the underback and the yeast mixing vessel, had been swapped out for stainless steel. But apart from that, it still had very much the character of not only a 19th century distillery, but a classic 19th century distillery designed by the Elgin architect Charles Doig. After it closed, um, Historic Environment Scotland, or Historic Scotland as it was then, became involved, and over the course of the next two or three years, uh, the distillery was taken into care by Historic Scotland, and I think it was in 1918, 1888 or 89, around um, about then, it was opened up as a visitor centre. Many, many distilleries uh, throughout Scotland from about the mid to late 1960s had stopped doing their own malting, traditional floor malting, because traditional floor malting is a very labour-intensive and, again, unfortunately, an inefficient way of doing things. So... By the 1970s, virtually every distillery in Scotland had abandoned its, its floor maltings and was buying in malt ready-made by the big malt companies who had factories dedicated to making malt in huge quantities to whatever specification the distilleries required. Dallas do its malt barn hadn't been used since about 1968, but it was still intact. The only other thing that changed with Dallas do once it lost its steam, steam engine, its coal-fired steam engine and steam power, all that had to be replaced with electric motors. So dotted around the place, you will see these brightly orange-coloured electric motors. But they're a very obvious later addition to the distillery. And it's very obvious what they are. And it's, I think, interesting to know why they are where they are. Because they give you a, a sense of rotational power that was provided by the old stationary steam engine that used to exist here. And again, in common with most distilleries, they relied on that kind of motive power to drive whatever they needed in the distillery. So what can visitors see when they visit Dallas Dew in particular? Are there any highlights to look out for? I think the highlights to look out for, first of all, are the building itself. The buildings are a classic Scottish distillery, pagoda roof to the kiln and painted white. Um, and it's unmistakably a distillery, um, set in a very, when the weather's nice, set in a very nice, attractive, green, grassy park. Um, so it is the quintessential Scottish malt distillery. Um, once you're inside, it is, um, as I've said, a unique experience. You're walking not into a working factory. You can bring children in here of any age. 
you can walk around at your own speed with an audio guide and gain your own understanding at your own in your own at your own pace of how it was all used. Highlights, I think, are being able to look closely at the equipment and the machinery and understand how it worked. You can get right up to a um, a spirit safe and get a good understanding of how the spirit safe was used to direct four shots, middle cut, and feints in the different ways in the process to, to create what is the middle cut of, of, of spirit that is used to make the whisky. The experience itself, if you approach it from the knowledge that it is not a working distillery, approach it from that direction and you will get a unique experience um, that is not, not like anything else you've experienced. And this is, again, this is what our visitors tell us about their experience here. How many visitors do you actually get a year or like throughout the year? Throughout the year, our visitor numbers vary. I think it's somewhere in, somewhere between ten and fifteen thousand. It varies from year to year, a bit, but it's somewhere within that order of magnitude. Um, bulk of our visitors, unsurprisingly, probably come from June through to the end of September. But we are open throughout the whole year. Um, we're closed on Thursdays and Fridays in the winter, but otherwise we're open. Um, it's a good idea to get here reasonably early in the afternoon if you're planning an afternoon visit because. Um, you need about an hour, really, to do a to do justice to a visit here. So you don't want to be arriving 10-15 minutes before we close. You won't you won't get a, a good experience from that. If you're in any doubt at all, again, give us a ring, and we'll keep you right. How, what is the craziest question you've probably got from someone that's toured Dallas? Do there's no such thing as a crazy question. We get some interesting questions. Um, one of the more interesting ones. I suppose, and the one and very easy to understand why it, people might think it's a crazy question, is you've got single malt. What's a double malt? And I think this comes down to the, the nomenclature that's used now in, in the Scotch whisky industry, which I know was revised a few years ago and is designed to give clarity so that people know exactly what they're buying. But the vocabulary is something that many people still find confusing. And people see the word single malt on a bottle and think, OK, that's a single malt, what's a double malt? Is it two whiskies? No. But it gives you an interesting and uh, an opportunity to start explaining to people about whisky nomenclature, how you define different types of Scotch whisky. And you can, you know, if, you, if they've got the time and the patience and you can go down, you can sit down, you can go through with them, single malt, blended malt, single grain, blended grain and blended Scotch, which are the five types. And people go away thinking, oh, I never understood about whiskey before. Now I understand what that all means. And the more you talk to visitors and the more you listen to what they're saying to you, what they're asking you, the more you can see from their perspective what it is about Scotch whiskey that's interesting and what it is that perplexes them. And the nomenclature does puzzle them. It's not clear. So I think it's you know up to us who are working in the, in the industry and in the sector to take the opportunity to... Educate is the wrong word because that sounds very pretentious and pompous, but to try and give them the opportunity to leave here slightly better informed than they were when they came. This right. is another of the things that we often get asked and often get through is, for example, what's the difference between Irish whiskey, whiskey and Scotch whiskey? And again, this opens up a, a huge opportunity for, for discussions with people. And again, as you mentioned there, the differences between North American bourbon whiskey and Scotch whiskey and so on. And there are great long discussions you can have with visitors. I mean, we, 
the amount of time we spend with a visitor here really depends on two things, how much time they've got and how much time we've got. And I don't like to think we've never got time to spend with our visitors. Obviously, it gets busy. But a lot of the time, you know, when people do come up with these complex questions, we're fortunate it might be a quiet spell for five, ten minutes. And we do have the chance to stand and chat to them and go through some of these kind of issues with them. And, you know, you, you can end up having really interesting chats with people here about whiskey, about different whiskey styles and types and so on. And yes, there is a huge variety of different styles and types of whiskey across the world. And obviously, being Scottish, we want to promote Scotch whisky. But I think we need to be aware that we are, you know, flying the flag for Scotch whisky in a very multinational environment. And there are other whiskies and other drinks out there that Scotch whisky has to compete with. For any visitors coming to Dalstu or visiting along the Mott Whisky Trail, mm -hmm. what would you maybe recommend them see or look out for? I think they need to look out for Dalstu Distillery as an example of. Um, uh, late 19th century unimproved history to see the context, the historical context in which whiskey was distilled. Visit a working distillery because you want to see that equipment in use today and compare the modern way of doing it with the more, I wouldn't say traditional, historic way of doing it. Um, you want to get that comparison and you also want to have the experience of the, the smell and the atmosphere of a working distillery. And I think you also need to try and have the opportunity to visit the, the Cooperage in Dufftown because I think without seeing that, your experience of the, the malt whisky industry is incomplete because the casks are so important to the industry. Casks are the way in which the whisky is matured and acquires its final character and flavour. Without the casks, Scotch whisky is not Scotch whisky, it's something else. So you really want to, to try and get the chance to visit that that factory and see see the process in action and again gain a, a deeper understanding of how the, the craft actually comes together. All the different elements come together and the cask is essential to that. So I think those are you know three elements that you really must see. Um, try and get the opportunity to taste as many different whiskies as you can uh, and you need to do that obviously in a safe way um, because uh, you don't want to be a uh, um, in charge of a vehicle under the influence of too much whiskey. But there are places where you can go, bars where you can go, particularly Aberdeen, Speyside and Elgin and so on, where you can have the opportunity to try different single malts. You can visit our shop, buy some miniatures to take away with you and try those in the privacy of your own home or your camper van or whatever. Um, take the opportunity while you're in Speyside and in the Malt Whiskey Trail, take the opportunity to... Um, sample the range of single malt whiskies in particular that you will find because Speyside has the, the highest concentration of working malt distilleries anywhere globally and it's a fantastic opportunity to get a real sense of what the, the Scotch whisky industry has to offer by way of a, an experience in taste and smell and what is absolutely a little bit of Scotland to take away home with you. I completely agree. A, a visitor's experience should incorporate all sorts of aspects of the whiskey industry, and that includes the insides of, of a mashed ton and yeah. how a cask is made, yeah. as well as tasting it. It's very yeah. important. And I think another thing probably to, to emphasise is be aware of the scenery and the countryside that you're driving through, because 
one of the three key ingredients in single malt Scotch whisky is water. And even if it's raining, or if it's winter and it's snowing hard, that water has to come from somewhere. And that water ultimately all has to fall out of the sky, and it's got to fall out of the sky sometime. So if you find yourself on a drich day, and it's low cloud and raining and drizzling and the air's full of midges, just remember that that's part of the process as well. And the countryside that you're driving through as you visit your distilleries on Speyside is equally a part of that process. The peat comes from the land. The peat that's used to smoke the, the malted barley. The peat comes from the land as well. Without waterlogged ground, we wouldn't have peat. So these things all have to come together and you can't always enjoy Scotland on a bright sunny day, much that we'd all like to. Um, we're an island sitting in the middle of a, a large chunk of ocean and we get rain. So if you find you've hit Scotland on a rainy day, make the most of it. Um, and when you've travelled around, find somewhere warm and cosy to sit down with a dram at the end of the day. Again, I completely agree and, and it's a very great perspective of how whiskey yeah, is made. Sure, sure. Um, my last question for you will just be, um, what are your favourite places to visit along the Malt Whiskey Trail within Speyside? I do like the town of Aberlour, I have to say. It's always appealed to me because it's a lovely wide open street, it's a lovely airy place and it is, I think, for me, that little town is the heart of Speyside and I do like Aberlour. Aberlour on a, on a sunny day is a beautiful place. Um, but right through the Spey Valley, I mean, if you're starting up at the top end, even if you come off the A9 at Aviemore and drive down the Spey, the whole of that route um, is a, a lovely drive to go down from there and then turn off left towards Forest or, or Nairn or carry on further down towards Elgin. Um, it's a lovely way to come into Speyside if you're coming north up the A9 is to turn off at Aviemore and come in that way rather than coming all the way through Inverness. Um, it's nice to do the, do the circuit as well because if you come along the coast you'll see a different type of scenery as well um, and some of the, the, the little distilleries that are in the more coastal towns um, Macduff and so on are, are well worth a visit as well but if you're looking f to me at least personally if you're looking for what is Speyside then go and see Aberlour That's all the time we have today Thanks for joining Come back often and feel free to leave a review and add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at The MWT, Instagram and Facebook at Malt Whiskey Trail for latest news, offers, and some exciting promotions. All links are in the show notes.